Hey there, and welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast, where today we're speaking with Deputy State Historic Preservation Officer Gwen Davis. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Maddie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'd just love to start with the basic premise of the State Historic Preservation Office, which we kind of also refer to as SHPO. Sure. So the, the SHPO is a section within the Delaware Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs. It is led by the, the director, Tim Slavin, who is also the State Historic Preservation Officer, and I am the deputy. We're a team of archaeologists, architectural historians, historians, and information resource specialists. Um, currently, there are seven of us with two hires pending. Um, we work with federal, state, and local government, um, local organizations, and the public, and we help to identify, study, excuse me, identify and study Delaware's historic buildings, structures, objects, districts, landscapes, and archaeological sites. Um, we assist and encourage Delawareans to value and preserve and protect these resources, resources which reflect our historic heritage. Um, we carry out a number of different programs, and um, just want to say up front that I know that later on we'll be talking with uh, several of our team members that will go into to more detail about some of these programs. But just for a few examples, um, we help people who are interested in listing their eligible properties in the National Register of Historic Places. Um, we manage the State Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program that helps people to defray costs of rehabbing historic buildings. And we also help those who are applying for the federal uh, tax credit program as well. Uh, we maintain a historic property research center. And that's where we hold all of our information on historic properties throughout the state. Um, and that is, um, so that includes survey forms, survey reports, photographs, and that information, of course, is collected over, over quite a few decades and that varies uh, in quality. But we are serving a lot of that information now has been digitized and it's uh, available on the web. Um, we also serve a regulatory function. Um, Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act requires that federal agencies take into account the effects of their projects on historic properties. So we review undertakings that have federal involvement, such as funding, permitting, licenses. And we advise agencies and their applicants of the, and how, how their projects might affect historic properties with the goal of avoiding adverse effects whenever possible. Um, we work with local governments uh, who have certified historic preservation programs of their own, assisting with their efforts. And uh, we also have a, we put together a five-year preservation plan that serves as a framework for all of all the state, setting goals and priorities for historic preservation. And we'll be soon working on updating We also have some interaction with state laws regarding historic preservation. There is um, what we refer to as the Unmarked Human Remains Act, which uh, protects just that, unmarked graves, uh, and, and establishes a process for what one should do if, if one discovers such, such remains. Um, and there's also the Antiquities Act, which protects archaeological sites that are on 
state land, and that also includes merged resources that are in the state state waters. Um, and we work with um, the Office of State Planning Coordination in reviewing non-regulate, non-federal um, projects that are coming through the preliminary land use service. So we have an opportunity to to at least provide some comment on local development projects that may help to serve properties. And then lastly, and perhaps most importantly, we serve a, a function of um, public outreach and education for um, to engage with the public on historic preservation issues, programs, events, and lectures, um, that kind of thing. Although it's been a bit curtailed through COVID last year. So with all these duties, how did the office get its start in Delaware? Well, it's interesting. Um, so it actually has its roots uh, in the former Delaware Archaeological Board and some other uh, state boards and commissions. But in 1966, the U.S. legislature passed the National Historic Preservation Act, and that created the first nationwide governmental program for historic preservation and established this federal, state, and local partnership encourages um, Among other things, the National Historic Preservation Act provided for the creation of state historic preservation offices in every state and territory. Um, it, it took, so that was 1966. It took a while for things to kind of get rolling with this new program, um, including for them to also establish funding, um, which we now know as the Historic Preservation Fund, to help implement that program. Um, and that now provides an annual grant that helps us support our office and fund the programs that we run. So in Delaware, we participated in that, that uh, national program since around 1970. Um, we weren't always called the, the SHPO. Um, there were sections of the division that were eventually combined. At one point, we were the Bureau of Archaeology and Historic Preservation. But we've been known as the SHPO at least, at least for the last 30 years. So. so, since 1966, what would you say Shippo's largest accomplishment has been? You know, I had to, to consult with uh, some of the folks who've been around you know, a little, even a little bit longer than I have. But in the early days, uh, we actually did have some funds to do some brick and mortar rehab of historic buildings. Um, and that also included some archaeological work and research that helped supported the restoration of the old state house, which is also a division of property. Um, that went, did a major transformation and tried to bring it back to something that at least uh, fairly resembled the original construction of the um, In partnership with the University of Delaware, we also, and with the grant funds, we help develop historic contexts that provide a framework for the identification and evaluation of historic buildings and archaeological sites. And although those were done back in the 80s, they are still relevant today. And they've been built upon and expanded and updated through a number of different research projects and also through some of that section 96 review work. But, you know, I think that that's, they still are a good sounding board for, for that, that process. Um, certainly a key key thing was the establishment of the State Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program in 2010. It was reauthorized in 2010 and has continued to grow and is you know, 
we provide up to $8 million in credits every fiscal year. I think another major contribution is we have digitized most of our historic property information. If you look across the country, you know, having different states are in different, at different stages of, of this process. And I'd say that Delaware is, is in pretty good stead with digitized almost all of our survey forms, photos, and reports, tens of thousands of documents. And that helps support the creation of the online geographic information system, mapping system. That actually started, that started in 2009. Um, we did a major upgrade to that system, which is known as CRIS, the Cultural and Historical Resources Information System. Um, and that did a major upgrade in 2015. And more. Um, in partnership with the Archaeological Society of Delaware, uh, the investigations of the Roosevelt Inlet shipwreck, and of course the Avery's Rest site, which have led to some major um, interesting finds and, uh, and continue to kind of push our understanding of our history, particularly the Avery's Rest site, the colonial history. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. I would also say that um, you know, with some of the unmarked remains cases we've had, um, one one in particular that's relatively recent um, is a few years ago we had a development that had come through that preliminary land use service as we came to Hawaii, um, and you know they the consultant had. Worked with the developer that had identified a known site, known cemetery, but the public had come forward and they were coming to us and saying, you know, there's another cemetery out there. And eventually, um, it took, took a bit of time, but there was additional investigation done with some guidance from our office. And yes, indeed, indeed they did find an unmarked, grave, uh, unmarked cemetery that was uh, African American and included a, a person who had Members. And that was that. So, I mean, we have some some examples like that. But I think where our like we weren't doing directly, we have influenced that. I would also say that um, some of the work that our our team, in concert with some support from the Department of State. Further investigation of the site in Casimir up in Newcastle. Um, that has, has led to identifying these pieces of one of the earliest settlements in the state. And that's, that's been very important as well. And although, you know, the regulatory side of things, the Section 106 review can seem kind of dull at times, um, it also has led to a lot of, when it's done well, it can lead to Research that is helpful in other ways, and I would say that the Route 301 archaeological investigations, um, the surveys and litigation, are a good example of where we were able to collaborate with our uh, partners over at the Federal Highway Administration. But we maintained our regulatory role. Um, I think that some of the research that came out of that 
that project will serve us well in the days to come. And then, it, and we can talk about this again in a little bit, but some of our outreach efforts have also been looking very I'm glad you mentioned, you know, your outreach and the CRIS and the geographic information system so we can get to those a little bit later in the podcast. But Fretnack, can we talk about how you got into this work and kind of what your story is? Well, I I started with interest in archaeology and actually paleontology when I was a little kid, um, six or so. And I was just kind of on a, on a one-track mind since then. Uh, so I was really interested in archaeology before I really even understood much about it. Um, I ended up going to, to college uh, at the University of Delaware and studied, got a degree in anthropology focusing in archaeology, and then from there um, did my graduate work at the State University of Delaware, um, again, anthropology focusing on archaeology. I came back, ended up coming back to Delaware. Um, and uh, applied for a job with the with the shipo, and was was lucky enough to, to get that job. And I spent the first 19 or so years doing the section 106 reviews, focused mostly on highway projects, a little bit of Coast Guard projects as well. But um, and then um, in 2011, I became the deputy state of preservation. How did you sort of your job change when you became the deputy? Oh, it changed a lot. Um, you know, I became uh, a manager of a whole team of folks, and um, it and that included kind of um, letting go of some things that I had been doing, you know, where I was more into the nitty gritty day to day work, and now being. Uh, Instead of doing the work on sort of the sounding board for those who are here, and uh, trying to support them and doing the, the rest of the team and doing their work. Um, so I think that, that's probably the biggest change. Sometimes I miss being being down in, in the you know the trenches, so to speak. But you know, there's also been I, I have learned a huge amount about. All of the other programs that uh, that was before, I was just focused on my and the project reviews six. And by uh, becoming manager, I've become much more well-rounded and certainly more of the details of how all of the other programs work, and and having a much greater appreciation of how dedicated this team is. So in the, as you said, a couple of decades that you've been working for Shifo, what's been your favorite part? Well, as I just alluded to, I think my favorite part is that privilege of working with people who are just incredibly passionate about their work that comes across in, in just about everything that they do. Um, and they try their best, and sometimes under difficult circumstances, you know, there's a lot of pressure. And it's just... Uh, it's just an incredible honor to work with these folks. And even though we've had turnover in our, our staff over the last several years, um, and we, as I said, we're a team of people, I think that folks who are, they're just drawn to, to this work, and they're, they're so dedicated. 
what are some of the current undertakings that you and your team have? Well, we were fortunate that we had some, some funds we could devote to some other projects um, this year. So we're actually working with the University of Delaware and with Preservation Delaware Inc. on um, survey and oral history projects for the DuPont schools, the African-American DuPont schools. Um, and that, that also is fitting in with some of the division's broader efforts to focus on race and equity issues. And focus on particularly on history, um, and that's that should be coming to some conclusion later this spring or this summer, and uh, that will have a public outreach component as well. Um, we're planning for new technology. Uh, we are looking into developing new systems that for the Historic Preservation Tax Credit Program, and as well as sort of the next generation of, of the of CRIS, of the GIS system, um, and looking for ways that we can make that a little bit more interactive. Um, and, uh, we're also soon going to be starting a process for updating the statewide preservation plan, and that is also working at the same time as the division is doing its, its five-year strategic plan. You mentioned some ways the public can really interact with SHPO. Are there any great ways that uh, the public can find SHPO or ways that you all can interact? Yeah, well, the, the programs that I, we were mentioning before, that's, we have frequent interaction with people who want to list their properties and register um, or apply for the preservation tax credits, or sometimes they're just seeking information researching their homes or the artifacts that they would like to identify. Um, and then we have, have different kinds of, of programs where um, it's outreach, more outreach and education focused. Uh, one of the more successful is the arts, culture, and, and heritage uh, program, which actually is a joint program. It's not just as far as we participate, but it started as, the, as a way to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the National State Preservation Act. Um, and our partners with First State uh, Heritage Park and First State National Historical Parks, uh, so both state, state parks and, and national parks, um, joined in, actually de helped develop the program, and then we, we participate in that a lot, a lot along with a lot of other agencies and organizations. Um, and so it's focused towards fourth graders. And you know, when, when you pre-COVID, we uh, had hundreds and hundreds of school kids uh, just sending on the green, doing different activities focused on historic preservation. Um, this year it's going virtual, and uh, so we'll be, be working on that. Um, we also, um, again, didn't hold it in 2020, but there's an annual symposium focused on uh, archaeology and history, and uh, we're hoping to get that going again. And then we just participate in other organizations' events, as well as some of the, the divisions events. Um, so there's there's lots of different ways. Our website is, is there, um, but I think probably the most, and perhaps the, the, a lot of the 
is sort of one of them. They start contacting us because they need help or because they're Well, sounds wonderful. It sounds like there are a lot of resources for people to check out. I did want to quick ask you, this is in May, right, which is National Preservation Month? So there are uh, different organizations like the National Trust for Historic Preservation who hold uh, different events or things online to encourage historic preservation. It's just a date a time when there are some focus on historic preservation nationwide. Um, it has also, in Delaware, has been Archaeology Month, and the Archaeological Society of Delaware also works on putting that thing together and events for that. Um, we But, I mean, mention Thank you for listening to this episode of the Saving Delaware History Podcast, which is actually our first one in a series to kick off National Historic Preservation Month this May. So we'll be talking to many more members of the SHPO team in the coming weeks. See you then.